Welcome to Fantasy or Reality, the GPP. Whatever road you took to get here doesn't matter. What matters is you're here. My hope is that we all can help one another in this journey. Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm Steve. I'm a recovering compulsive gambler and an addict. My last date of bet was 5-2-21, and I've been clean since 7-16-09. So the last time I left off with um, the first part of my gambling story. So um, I will get into the second part, but a little recap. You know, I had, my wife had caught me the first time playing da- daily fantasy sports. And at that time, neither her or I saw it as an addiction. We didn't see it as a anything that we all, you know, that we see now, that it's a compulsion, that it's a problem. It's the same as using drugs. It's the same as any addiction. But back then, neither one of us saw it. And I think at the time, we both just wanted to shut it down and move past it as fast as possible, you know. I didn't want to admit I was an addict. I didn't want to admit it, but there was a problem. And honestly, I didn't even see it as a problem. You know, I knew there was something wrong. I knew I was spending way too much money. Um, it wasn't good, the behaviors I was exhibiting while doing it. Um, and, you know, we were just trying to save money to, to buy a home. You know, like I said in the last episode, we knew there was no way we were going to make it on Long Island. You know, I was trying to keep us there. But there just was no way it was going to happen. So at this point, we had already come to the realization we were going to have to move to upstate New York by the Saratoga region. And, um, you know, we love it up here now. We, you know, we wouldn't want to be anywhere else. But at the time, you know, Long Island was our home. That's where all of our family is. And, you know, I, you know, we have some family up here now, but we still have a lot of family back home. Um, all of our friends or a lot of our friends are back home. You know, so it was very tough to leave. Anyone who's left their hometown knows how hard it is to leave everyone behind and everything you know, especially if it's not for, you know, reasons like you want to leave the town or whatever it is. You know, we we left because we basically we were we were priced out, which is unfortunate. Um, and it's an unfortunate story that is happening all over New York, but really hit Long Island hard, um, at least where we were. Um so anyways, so I, I, I completely stopped, you know, the, the one, well, there were several mistakes, you know, I, I should have, or we should have addressed it, or I should have addressed it as an addiction or a problem, tried to, you know, dive deep into it, which I didn't. Um, like I said, in the, in the last episodes, I didn't want to be seen as an addict, especially to my wife. Um, I still at that time saw it in a very negative way. You know, I felt shame about my past drug addictions, which I will get into in further episodes. Um, You know, and we just, at the time, we were in the middle of saving for a home, you know, getting ready to move upstate. We just shut it down as quick as possible and tried to move past it as fast as we could. And, you know, in retrospect, that was obviously a mistake, you know, on my part. And, uh, you know, but it's all right. Cause I'm happy where I am today. But, uh, so anyway, so we, we got through that summer, had a, a great time with family and friends. I enjoyed my last summer working out in the Montauk area. You know, it was tough leaving. I had a great relationship with all my customers. I'd been delivering out there for years. 
Um, I loved being by the ocean beaches and everything. I, I loved feeling the ocean air, you know, it was just a wonderful place to be and work every day, you know, and I love it up here now. But when we first moved up here, it, it was difficult, not only because we left family, but, you know, it's almost like you're leaving your comfort zone. I remember after we had settled in up here in September of that year, you know, I, you know, the first few weeks, you're just readjusting, you're getting your house set up, um, you're getting you know, acclimated to your settings. But, you know, once I was on my own making my deliveries again up here with the same company I worked for down there and the one I still work for today, I remember one day specifically driving through a town, I believe, called Averill Park and just seeing like the rolling hills and the farmland and how just spread apart everything was. And Long Island, everything was close together. There was no you know, there was farmland, but it's just so different up here. And I remember just feeling so homesick at that point. And I know my wife felt the same way, but we were doing what we had to do for our family. And now we're very, very grateful for where we are. We love our home. We love where we live. But at that time, it was very, very stressful, overwhelming. Um, but anyways, you know, so we made it through that first winter. And approximately sometime in February is when we started, you know, putting the process together to start buying our home. And, you know, we do, we had to do, we, everything you got to do to buy a home, you know, pre-approval for the mortgage, everything's going great. You know, we had saved well over 20 grand, but when it came down to buying the home, we realized that it was going to cost a lot more than 20 grand. And we ended up needing some help to end up buying the house. So because we ended up needing all this help, which I'm very grateful for to this day. Um, it just made me feel like once again, that I didn't do enough for my family. I wasn't enough for my family. You know, I, I work hard. I do everything I can. Um, I work 60, 70 hours a week, but that's just how I felt. I felt like after all that sacrifice moving up here, doing everything I could to try to give my family the best life possible, we still needed so much help to get into the home that we're in. And that was just one more thing that made me feel like I wasn't enough of a, of a husband and enough of a father that I didn't do enough. You know, I was ashamed about the money I had lost, you know, during my first, you know, go around gambling. You know, like I said, I had never addressed any of the underlying problems or issues, you know, like I said in the, in the last episode, I, I love being a truck driver now. I love what, you know, where I get to travel, the things I get to do. You know, don't get me wrong. It's a tough job. But at the time I looked down on myself for being a truck driver. I didn't graduate college. I had to become a truck driver. But now I realize just how important we are to this country and what a good job it is to have. You know, you can make more than, you know, you can make six figures being a truck driver. And you can take great care of your family and have a good life. And I'm proud of that today. But, you know, anyways, after getting into our house and all that help, we had less than $1,000 in our checking account or savings account, whatever it was. I remember seeing we had almost no money after, you know, the closing costs and everything. And I just remember feeling incredibly overwhelmed 
looking around the house, seeing things falling down. It was a beautiful house, but there was, and it still is a beautiful house, and we've done plenty of work on it. Very proud of this home and what we've done here. But all I could see was the fence needed to be replaced. I knew that, you know, there were going to be things that had to be replaced in the coming months, and we had no money. I didn't know what to do, and it just... It came back. I, you know, it was the stupidest decision I could have made at the time. Now it's crazy to say I'm, I'm grateful for what happened because of where I am today and my recovery and who I've become today. But at the time, just I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know any other way to try to improve our home and improve our lives. And I jumped back in to daily fantasy sports. You know, that shame you feel for not, not doing enough that, which I have moved past today. I do not feel shame anymore. I, I love who I've become and who I am, but I don't know, being a, being a father and a husband, feeling like you're not doing enough to provide the best life for them. It's just tough. At least it's, it was tough for me. And I made the mistake, uh, I believe it was that August. I know it wasn't initially when we moved in, but it was a few weeks later. We moved in at the end of July and it was, you know, I remember playing like a week or two of baseball and then the football season started. And I, and you know, at that time I had all these credit cards because I was building up my credit to build up your credit. You have to have credit cards. So I ended up playing and losing more in that first month or two than I had in the entire time I had played the first time. I was so desperate at the time to try and and get our bank account back up over, you know, even 5,000, 10,000, you know. I just didn't know any other way to do it. Um, you know, so... I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I kept depositing, kept depositing. I wasn't even looking at the card. I just kept depositing until one day I tried to deposit again and it said declined. And that's when I really, I couldn't believe I had maxed out this card. It was like over $4,000 at that point. And that feeling of realizing what you've done, that... That's, I realized at that point that there was something really wrong with what I was doing. But at that point, I had relapsed. And I remember the first time that my wife had told me that if you do this again, I'm going to leave you. And at that point, I just felt like, you know, I have to get this under control on my own. And over the next year and a half, I battled with myself starting and stopping and starting and stopping. And, you know, I'd stop for a week or a month or whatever it was. And then I'd realize I still have this credit card bill to pay or, you know, I can't believe what I did. I, I have to win this money back or I have to keep playing you know, you, you do it because, or at least I did it because I was trying to get this money for the house. But once you are deep in it and you realize 
what a hole you've dug yourself into. And now you've got a whole nother, a whole new stack of lies. You know, you feel like you have to dig yourself out and you don't, there's, there's people around you, the people in your life that love you, they want to help you. They don't, they don't want you to be stuck in this misery, but you know, when you're in it, you're in it. Um, so from that August until the pandemic hit, I played back and forth would win money, would lose money, win money, lose money, never enough to pay off enough, you know, the card. So I'd keep playing, trying to win enough to pay the whole thing off. And I never did. Then the pandemic hit and um, sports got shut down for a while. And my hours got cut back, which sent me into an even higher state of stress and being completely overwhelmed. You know, we were making it fine, but you know, going from working 65 hours a week or whatever, down to about 45 hours a week and losing all that overtime and the uncertainty where we were all feeling in the beginning of the pandemic. You know, if sports were still going at that time, I would have absolutely kept playing. Um, but I stopped at that point because obviously there was no sports for a while. But I wasn't making nearly as much money, you know, because of, of the hours being cut back. So we ended up having to put our mortgage on a forbearance for a little while. You know, I was unsure of the hours we were going to get. So for several months, we had to have our mortgage on forbearance. And you know how it was during the pandemic. There was no guarantee or end in sight. So, you know, eventually sports came back and I didn't start up when baseball started because that wasn't my thing, but I started back up again when basketball came around. And at that point, you know, I, I think it was the second day back and I had won a few thousand dollars and I was like, oh my God, see, I, I, I knew I could do this. I knew if I did enough research, if I, if I put enough time into building these lineups and looking into what these guys do, I, I knew I could do it. But, you know, in a matter of days, I lose it all because I think, okay, great. I got a couple thousand dollars. Well, I know what I'm doing. You know, I, I did great in this contest with 40,000 people. Well, let me enter this contest that's only got 400 people in it, but it costs $777 to enter these contests. So needless to say, I tried to enter a few of those and, you know, lost those and lost the other entries and unfortunately at that time because you know like i said we were in this house i knew things were going to go our ac unit ended up going over the summer sometime in june or july and to replace it it was close to five thousand dollars and to take five thousand out of our savings account at that time would have left us no breathing room no wiggle room at all and um, so at that time, one of the things that the government did was they made it so you could take withdrawals out of your 401k without paying the penalty on it. So at that time, that's, that's what we did. We took some money out of, the, out of my 401k or out of our 401k to pay for the air conditioning unit to be replaced. Now, fast forward a few months later, 
you know, I have that in my head. You know, I'm, I'm playing daily fantasy sports. I won, then I lost it all. But now I've convinced myself that I just have to keep entering these contests and I will eventually win. And I, some days I would do well and some days I wouldn't. Some days I would come so close to the top. You know, I would come within a point and a half of winning the $100,000. But anyone who's played Daily Fantasy knows that a point and a half could mean the difference between first place and 10th place. So over and over again, I would come so close. I'd come in, you know, seventh place, sixth place, fifth place, win a few thousand dollars, lose it all, take another deduction for my 401k, a couple more thousand dollars, keep trying to play over and over again. You know, I'm not going to get into specific numbers because I don't think it typically, I don't think it matters. I think the feelings that we feel while we're gambling or while we're using, they're the same whether you you lose $1,000, $10,000, whatever it is, the numbers don't matter. It's it's the the shame, the humiliation, the just the fact like in that addiction, you those behaviors, you feel like you're the only one doing these. You feel like who, who on earth would take money from their 401k? Who on earth would lie to their wife and their family members? Who, who does this? Compulsive gamblers do these things. And I didn't learn that until I jumped into recovery. But anyway, so I'm not going to go back and forth with a million different war stories. But needless to say, I kept taking money out of my 401k, kept losing money, selling stock all the way up until May 2nd of this year. Now, at the time, it felt like one of the worst days of my life. It was really May 3rd. So, you know, in in GA and problem gambling groups, we, we, we say our last day of bet. So my last day of bet was 5221. It was that Sunday. So that Monday was my, you know, the day it all came crashing down, um, which I'm insanely grateful for now. But, you know, over that year and a half, two year period, you know, I knew it was a problem. I knew I could not stop. So many times I would beg myself to stop. I would go through an entire day saying, I'm not doing this. And then 10 minutes before the lineups would lock, I would say, oh, all right, I'll do one one lineup. And then it starts it back up again. You know, I can't tell you how many times I would, before the the games would even end. I would deposit. I'd be telling myself over and over again, "Just stop, stop," and I'd end up giving in, caving in, putting the money on DraftKings, building the lineups, getting home, looking at my wife, looking at my kids, going in to take a shower, and looking at myself in the mirror, and not even being able to to look in my eyes. You know trying to hold back tears because I felt so guilty and shameful for what I was doing. Why couldn't I stop? I didn't understand. I knew, I knew it was wrong. I knew I shouldn't be doing this. I knew I was losing thousands of dollars. But at that point, when you get to that point, when you're so deep in it, you feel like the only way is to continue gambling, to continue playing to continue trying in the hopes that
that you can win that jackpot. You think while you're in it, it's just about the money, but it's not. It wouldn't have mattered if I had won $100,000. I would have told myself I need to win 200000 If I had won two hundred, I would have said I needed four hundred. But anyways, so fast forward, whatever, to the day I got caught, 5-3-21. I'm at work just like any other day. You know, my wife and I had been arguing a bit the night before. And um, like, you know, she's told me since then, she just felt like something was off. Something was wrong. Something did not feel right. To this day, I'm not exactly sure what she did or how she got in, how she found out. And honestly, I don't even want to know. You know, I, I, I'm happy she found out. However, she found out. Like I said, I'm happy to be on this road to re- road to recovery and be who I am today. But I remember it being around twelve, twelve thirty in the afternoon. I see a phone call from my wife. I pick it up. Hey, what's going on? What is DraftKings and why why is it on your phone? And at that moment, I knew it was over. That feeling I talked about in the last episode where I knew it wasn't going to be good when I got home. That few seconds between her asking that and me answering, I just, at that point, I felt like my life was over. I, I felt like this was it. I'm finally... It's all coming crashing down. I'm going to lose them. I'm going to lose my wife and my kids. I didn't even know what to say at that point. You know, I didn't, you know, cop to anything yet, but I didn't deny it. I just asked her, you know, why are you asking about that? I didn't know what else to say. And she just said, when you're ready to tell the truth, call me back. So that whole day, I remember being at work. I remember exactly where I was the back of my trailer, what stop I was at, what I was delivering at that point. And the rest of the day, all I could think about was the fact that this is it. I've just lost my wife. I've just lost my kids. I'm going to be a disgraced father. Uh, You know, my kids are going to grow up in a broken home all because you're this piece of garbage that couldn't stop playing daily fantasy freaking sports. It was an awful day. So anyways, I got through the day. I started heading home. And when I walked through the front door, my kids weren't there. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't tell if my wife was home or not. All I could see when I walked through the door was glass on the ground. I walk up the steps and I see our wedding frame pictures from our wedding and I can see it's been smashed into a thousand pieces. There's glass everywhere. Now at this point I, I realized that she was home, but I didn't know where she was in the house. I didn't know what was going to happen. All I could think to do was to put my stuff down, go get a broom, a dustpan and start cleaning up the glass. And in my head, all I could think was, I pray to God that this is symbolic of me picking up the pieces of our broken and shattered life and marriage 
and hopefully picking up one shard of glass at a time and rebuilding it. And that night we sat down, we talked a lot about what was going on. I still had a hard time fully opening up about everything that took a few days throughout the week to open up about everything that had happened. But, you know, to this day, I, I look at that, that frame from our, from our wedding, from our wedding day. And, you know, it's still there, but the glass isn't there anymore. And to me, it's symbolic, you know, the glass is gone. The covering's gone. The truth is out. Everything's on the table. I am who I am. I've come to grips with that. I've come to terms with that. I've been a drug addict. I've been a gambling addict. I've been a lot of things. And for the longest time, I tried to hide behind that glass, hide behind, you know, put a face on that I, I, I was a recovered addict. You know, I, 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 I wasn't an addict. That glass is gone. That covering is gone. And who I really am is, is shining through. And I, I never in my life thought that that would be good enough for someone. I never thought that anyone would want to be married or be with someone who had done and gone through the things I'd gone through, been an addict, am an addict. But I can tell you today, I'm, I'm happy that covering has been removed. I'm happy it's out. I'm happy I can say I'm an addict. I'm a recovering addict and compulsive gambler. And it's okay to be that. The hardest thing to do was to come to grips to, you know, with that. Even through my addiction, I knew there was a problem. I knew I couldn't stop. I still could not tell myself I was an addict. I tried a thousand different things to stop gambling. At that point when I'd gotten caught, I was down to only playing on weekends. Just another thing I tried to tell myself, I'll only do it on the weekends and see what happens. It never would have worked. Until you can come to terms with the fact that you are an addict, you are a compulsive gambler, and learn to let go of the things that bring you shame and self-hatred, you're never going to get past, never going to get past it. You know, for me, it's been a combination of therapy. It's been a combination of, you know, meetings and, and just really diving deep into this and learning to be okay with who you are. You don't have to be an addict to do this either. You don't have to be a compulsive gambler to do this. You just have to learn to be comfortable with yourself, be comfortable with who you are. And I can say that I am today. And I'm very happy to say I'm Steve. And I'm a recovering compulsive gambler. I hope you can get there too. But anyways, I'll go more into my recovery what I've done in my recovery, how I stay active in recovery, and why I think it's so important in the next episode. And, you know, like I said, I'll get into my drug addictions. I'll get into all that. You know, I'm going to start trying to have guests on here. I think it's important to hear other people tell their story. And, you know, if you're interested in being a guest, please let me know. I'd be happy to 
have anyone on here. You don't have to be a gambling addict. You don't have to be a, you know, compulsive gambler. Addiction is addiction, regardless of if you can't stop gambling, you can't stop drinking, you can't stop using heroin, dope, whatever. Well, anyways, I appreciate you listening. I'll talk to you soon. Here's where to get help. You can call or text 1-800-522-4700. That's the National Council on Problem Gambling. Or you could call 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. This is where I found um, the link to my therapist through my local counselor. And then also, we cannot forget our affected others. My wife goes to Gammonon every week, and it's been a huge help to her. So anyone in your life who you feel like needs help or you've affected through your gambling, you can go to gammonon.org, G-A-M dash A-N-O-N dot org. The number is 718-352-1671.